everyone, and welcome to the second official episode of Legends of the New Republic, a book club podcast reading through Star Wars books and the Legends canon, starting immediately after Return of the Jedi. We are two episodes in it. We managed last week to get through an entire chapter Woo! of Truce at Bakura by Kathy Tyers. Um, we had thoughts about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so Hopefully many. we can get through maybe another chapter today. And if we're really lucky, we'll get through two chapters. Uh, we're going to start with chapter two. Uh, I am David. I am one of your hosts here on Legends of the New Republic. And I am Chris, and I exist only in your imagination. Yeah, but what's your name, Figment? I, I, I said my name was Chris. Did that not come through? Oh, it didn't no, come it through. Did not. All I heard was, it all it came through was, and through. I exist only in your imagination. Gosh, dang it. Okay, okay. Take two. My name is Chris, and I exist only in your imagination. I worked so hard on that. I was really proud yeah, I know. of that. <laughs> well, at least <sighs> now we have a blooper. <laughs> Oof. Oof, buddy. Uh, and I'm Jason, and my consciousness is still in my body <laughs> and not in a machine. I'm Kat, and I'm apparently the only normal one. My name is SharkRay24, and I am your token Muppet, I guess. <laughs> hey, be, be um, careful with those seagulls. Yeah, stop it, seagulls. <laughs> Make sure that they stop it now. Hey, every so, week... Every week I do my best to try to come up with something completely off the wall. You guys <laughs> never expect it every single time. <laughs> it's true. It's so I mean, rewarding. Don't expect it. It's great. Uh, I'm always here just like telling people my name and it's boring. <laughs> Gosh, so, David, why are you so boring? Oh my goodness. <laughs> David, why? <laughs> <laughs> So last week, we started in Chapter 1 of, of Truce Bakura. Luke came back from a party, had some medical problems thanks to Palpatine's intense electroshock therapy. Wedge that tried like to be a regular party for me. Mm. <laughs> Wedge tried to be a one-man bomb squad in space. <laughs> a one-handed one-man bomb squad. Um, they get a message from a planet under attack by unknown aliens. And uh, Akbar gives an extremely conservative estimate of how many people died at Endor. <laughs> and then Luke ends up left behind in a floating wheelchair while Han and Leia decide to go off to Bakura and try to convert it to the rebellion by saving it from whatever's attacking it. Mm. So as chapter two begins, Luke is still in sickbay when our good friend Ghost Obi-Wan shows up and in no uncertain terms tells Luke he has to go to Bakura. Uh... Just like he told Luke he had to go to Dagobah, he basically shows up, says, go to Bakura, and then leaves before Luke can ask any clarifying questions. Uh, Luke falls asleep and dreams of reptilian aliens to control him like a droid. Uh, and then he calls everyone to his room Ooh, and says, a ghost wants me to go to Bakura. And they're like, okay. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah how can, is, okay. How <laughs> is nobody thinking like, right. okay, he's force sensitive, but... He's bullshitting this. Right. Like, how is nobody thinking that? Because he's well, the only one of the main trio who didn't get to go, and he really wanted to go. So there has mm -hmm. to be at least someone in the leadership of the rebellion who's like, oh, he's pulling that Obi-Wan's ghost told me to do it. Trick right, again. exactly. Just and like you did with the, that. with the cookies. 
Obi-Wan told you to take the cookies, didn't it? Exactly. No one says that. In fact, Akbar, for some reason, seems to think that Obi-Wan Kenobi has a role in the rebel hierarchy and keeps calling him General right. Kenobi. Yeah, he right. says something so, like, Luke's been given his orders already. <laughs> well, so I'm, I'm but honestly, supposed to be the happy-go-lucky guy here, but, like, this one bugged me. It's like, it's like... Okay, I'm I get that there's like four Uncle Owen. Stuff. I can't do my homework. I have to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters because General Obi Wan told me to. <laughs> but yeah, it's like you know you're you're part of the Rebel Rebel Alliance and stuff, and like there's a, yeah there's the chain of command, and that just gets superseded by supposedly a ghost that nobody else saw. Like, come on, right. really. A dead guy who was technically, if you want to get really nitty gritty about it, an officer in the Empire before it was called the Empire tells mm-hmm. Luke to go do something. Only Luke hears him, and Admiral Akbar's like, "Well, yes, you've been given your orders already. It's certainly not a trap." Here is here is my two things. Here here is my two things about this. First and foremost, yes, it's a silly thing. But honestly, it would be way cooler if the Jedi had a hierarchy of ghosts. <laughs> if the Jedi honestly would just get like a ghost in the afterlife, yeah, like, like sitting ghost, at a desk, like Obi Wan, go tell Luke to do something again. Right? If the ghost would just show up, and be like, "Okay, the Jedi, go do this thing," and then everyone knew. Oh, sorry, a ghost showed up and told the Jedi to do something. Well, I guess we're screwed. Like that would be great. <laughs> that would make my day so much. I mean. Meanwhile, Anakin is just sitting there amongst all the other Jedi, and he's like, you guys want to know something? And they're like, but I'm the only one with the Padawan who didn't join the dark side. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. And they're all like, shut up, that hasn't happened for like 20 years. Well, no, Qui-Gon hasn't had one join the dark side. Unless you you count Obi-Wan being... He had a master join the dark side. Yeah, but that's different from having a Padawan join (laughs) the dark side. But if you think about the master-teacher... messed up family. (laughs) But if you think about the master-teacher relationship, aren't they both really learning from each other? (laughs) I mean, Dooku isn't. (laughs) No, no. I think Obi-Wan mostly learned to, like, avoid civilization and Skywalker specifically. (laughs) I feel like that was actually a good learn for him. So weirdly, not only does this not trigger anybody's, like, this is weird senses, Akbar immediately puts Luke in command of a strike force. He is a commander in the Rebel Alliance, which if they're... Also, when did Han Solo become a general? uh, before Return of the Jedi, apparently Did he? Did they? the general in the movie. Yeah, he um, was the general back then already, yeah. yeah I, I think don't know it's essentially if you bring your own ship that can hold more than one person, you <laughs> <laughs> as a general. <laughs> so let's put in command of a strike force consisting of several Corellian ships and a light Mon Calamari cruiser. Luke is a commander, so if their wait, wait, chain what? of command works anything... <clears throat> Sorry, what? Uh, the, the cruiser, I thought the cruiser was the, um, uh, the Quasar Fire, which is like that, the big, um, home plate looking thing. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what they, they don't specifically say what it is. They call it a light cruiser. It's called the Flurry. Yeah. Cause that's where the rebel transport, uh, uh or carrier thing comes from in Star Wars Rebels. Because that was oh, right. that was a callback from Truce of Pecora. Well, there you go. So yeah, Luke has go. a carrier under his control then, um, as well as several Carillion Corvettes. 
uh, Luke is actually not a higher rank than the captain of the ship who he is in command of. Like, he's commanding a fleet. He doesn't even outrank the person commanding the ship he's on. But a ghost told him to, so I guess that's where <laughs> that's where he gets to be. Luke is This can't go wrong. I'm mean, hesitant about this actually. He doesn't seem to want to be in command because he doesn't know what he's doing and he tells them that. <laughs> I mean, realistically, Luke has been in charge of how many things in his entire life um, at this point. The power converters. What is he, seventeen at this point? <laughs> no, he's older than that by now, right? No, he's, I think he's, he's in his 20s. early 20s. Yeah, it's like early okay. 20s, yeah. Yeah, early because yeah. there's a five-year gap between a couple of the movies and such, so it's like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Mark Hamill had to have a car accident. <laughs> oh. He's Jeez, also still Mark. in command of Rogue Squadron. He's still Rogue One at this point, but Rogue Squadron is coming with him, so Wedge gets bumped to command. Um, As he should. And Luke yes. and, or excuse me, Han and Leia, yes, I agree with you. Han and Leia are on the Falcon, and Leia is officially the um, ambassador, and Han's basically Leia's bodyguard. So they go to Bakura to try to find out if they can get the aliens to join the Alliance. And Luke promises, cross his heart and hope to die, that he'll do a healing trance and feel better from these seizures by the time they're there. Uh, so Akbar will let him go, even though he's been given his orders by a dead guy. Details. Um, and then, <laughs> then we have a point of view shift for the first time in the book. We're not following Luke anymore. We shift to a new character named Dev Sibawara, who is a human aboard an alien fleet. Um, it becomes pretty obvious very fast that he's brainwashed because he's helping what can only be described as talking velociraptors with tentacles coming out <laughs> of their noses. <clears throat> um, called I the Sea Ruby the or Sea Rook. Bit. They, at one point, they describe him like the, um, I think it's Firawong, the, the one he's with, uh, extrudes his little, like, taste sensors from his nostrils. And all oh. the pictures I can find, they have these weird little tentacles coming out of their noses. I just assumed that that's where their tongues oh, were located. Okay. Yeah, I kind of heard it as tongues, but yeah, okay. So, it might be tongues. So, <laughs> before, before... Tongues are just mouth tentacles, though. Yeah, but if they, <laughs> but if they come out of your nose, it's weird. <laughs> so 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 before before we go too far there was something that i wanted to say about the dream sequence which oh, yeah. now that i realize that there are tentacles involved makes the dreams makes what i wanted to say even more interesting <laughs> i promise this is going oh, somewhere no. academic oh, no. <laughs> so so when you know i was listening to the audiobook and just listening to the dream sequence, that part where he's seeing the alien threat and he's being controlled, you know? Yes. It felt very Lovecraftian to me. Oh, like, yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely, you know, being controlled in a dream by these unknown aliens of some power that you don't understand. And apparently they have tentacles too, so that's another Lovecraft box to check off. <laughs> I feel like... Yeah, I, I actually feel like the... Uh... Kathy Tires did a really good job of building up the C-Ruvi. They're, excuse me, they're, they're, I don't know how you, what you call it, but the, the versions of their name to describe them are weird because they don't follow normal English pearls. If it's one, it's a C-Rook. If there's multiple, it's a, it's C... C-Ruvi? No, sorry. If there's one of them, it's a C-Ru. If there's multiple, it's C-Rook. And if it's describing them in the, as a whole, like their technology or something, it's oh, C-Ruvi. Yeah, yeah. So it's weird. And but well, anyway, actually, she that, does a good job that, of building them up as a legitimate, like, this is a bad, like, a threat. 
Yeah, like, not just, like, aliens. the villain of the week. Yeah. That, that actually um, reminds me, in terms of, like, their naming and such, reminds me of uh, the uh, Inuit uh, First Nations, uh, because... Uh, group is Inuit, but a singular member is an Inuk. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if that was an inspiration for it, because I think it does a good job of differentiating them and making them unique all on their own, that they have a language that's clearly not um, galactic basic. And in fact, they're described as uh, singing, not speaking. They, I guess they talk a lot like the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park 3. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, mm. it's, it's like clicks and, and very like musical tones, um, mm. which gets into, I think, chapter 3 and 4 some. Well, but. It, it, yeah, it kind of sounds a little bit like the Ood from Doctor Who which I've been binge-watching <laughs> lately. Um, but but it, obviously the Ood were not in classic Who, so they did not exist until after this book was written. But, you know, they, they kind of have a very similar weird-looking... Uh, they're weird-looking aliens that have the tentacles coming out, and they, they have a... They, they sing instead of, instead of speaking, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Well, it reminds me of the Rachni from Mass Effect, only the Rachni are much yeah. cooler. Um, <laughs> the Rachni have a whole, like, hive mind thing going on. But it's, on the, the, it's the, a the mind controlling singing have. kind of a thing. Um, so in that way, they, they remind me of that. Just the, that kind of, like, structure of their society. Yeah. Uh, this book also is the result. I, I can't find it again. I know it's out there. There is a beautiful comic panel that exists because of this book where Darth Vader has to sit down at a dinner table with a bunch of velociraptors. <laughs> and it's such a weird panel out of context that I love this book simply because that panel exists. Perfect. Um, um, so what do the Siruvi or Siruk, excuse me, want with Bakura? Is It's sort of revealed a little bit in this scene. Um, because what Dev is helping um, Firawong, his handler, his, his um, I guess his like boss, do is haul captured Imperials into a chair, um, plug their brains into the chair, and what's called it's called entechment, uh, where they basically it's it's vaguely described or hazily described. They're either sucking all the electricity out of them or sucking their souls out to power droids and ships. It's and definitely their souls. Yeah, there's yeah, a line the they ladder. talk they about life force. energy, but mm -hmm. yeah, it, Luke will notice that they... some kind of consciousness is <laughs> transferred, clearly, when we... Well, is that in this chapter or is that in... No, it's Well, I mean, in the, the next, next chapter, chapter, Luke will <laughs> discover that he can sense them in the Force very faintly, but well, they're and, still And recognizes there. them as, as people with intelligence, too, which means mm -hmm. that it's essentially... You know, sucking out their entire like being as as people, which is part of why it has an expiration date. Right, and those people are well. Dev is extremely brainwashed, so he thinks this is such a fantastic thing, and that everyone will be happy once it's happened. And his greatest dream is to be intact at some point into his own battle droid. Um, he's also force sensitive, so somehow I don't even know how they've managed to pull this off, but the Sea Ruby have managed to convince him that thrashing around and screaming at the top of their lungs in the chair is simply an autonomic reaction of a body that no longer has a soul in it. And I he's mean, just like, cool, yeah, strap me in. And they're well, like, no, and, we need you. 
And it's even more than that. He I mean, senses that makes sense. their pain and f mm -hmm. them being frightened and such. It's gotten to the point because uh, he was raised by the sea rook that yeah. he believes that it's essentially like a small child um, being told that they need to take a bath or something and right. freaking out. He's yeah, I think I was gonna say they they kind of yeah they kind of um, hit on it later on probably I think in one of the other chapters but like yeah they kinda, he's basically taken from birth so I mean if this is all that he knows he that's yeah. It reminds me almost of uh, the good old days when the Catholic Church was uh, rounding up people and torturing them. And uh, what's what? What was the name of that thing that nobody ever expects or sees coming? Um, the French Inquisition. <laughs> I don't think anybody expects that one. No. Actually, actually, hang on a second. Sorry, this is a, this is a mild rant that will probably not make it into the podcast. The reason Black Friday is considered to be unlucky is because that's when the French actually moved against the Knights Templar. And destroyed the banking system of all of Europe because they captured the monastic order that ran the banks. Well, th there's another reason, too, that has to do with paganism and a specific pagan festival that would always happen on a Friday because the goddess... Yeah, it's the pagan festival well, where the French take over the banking system. Yes. <laughs> well, Let's be real here. That's that what I got out of this. The French. The, mm -hmm. the, the Norse it. god that, is, that, is, that Friday is named after... Mm -hmm. is the goddess of sex and fertility. Freya? So you can imagine what kind of Yeah, I can see events. why that wouldn't go over well with the medieval church. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't go... Would, it would be happening at these festivals. So um, back to what I was saying about the Spanish Inquisition. Ba -da -ba -da. Um, no, it's like... Or like really with any kind of form of extremism, <laughs> it's like you're torturing people and killing people and causing so much pain, but you're still convinced that what you're doing is right to whether it's to a to a divine being or to the government or whatever and it's it, like like i said it's it's lovecraftian it's dystopian and it's mm -hmm. kind of unsettling what what's going on Obviously, right and the fact that dev is so convinced in an almost a religious sense that what's happening is good despite every bit of evidence to the contrary is really I mean, well, it's, it's very true to life in a culty sense. Well, and that's yeah, what's and it, really... It, go ahead. And, you know, like, it's, it's, it's kind of what we see in certain governments. I'm not going to name any names because I don't want this to get too political. But in certain countries, you've got extremely smart people who are extremely sensitive and empathetic, empath empathetic but because the propaganda of their country is so strong and so deeply rooted into the culture, you know, they're, they're not being smart or they're not being empathetic almost by, not really by choice, but like they don't have really an option other than to blindly accept everything that's going on mm -hmm. around them. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing is, is oh, that I mean, that most makes sense people... It's very much what happens with Dev is like well, everyone and... around him says entacrement is a good thing, so he ends up believing it. Oh, shoot. Oh, never mind. I didn't hit that button. Well, and the other thing, the other side to that is, is that a lot of the people, like that, that sword cuts both ways. At least when you're when you're developing a lot of these societies. My problem with the with them thus far is that they are kind of plastic. Like these villains, like there is no argument about whether or not they have any kind of 
moral justification. They're just evil. They're just bad guys. And that's something yeah, that... I mean, like, they just think they're better than everyone else. Right. And, and the like the, the very beginning when Obi-Wan is like, hey, this is a universal threat. Like, you have to go deal with this. Otherwise, the galaxy will bleed and like those sorts of things. So it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, so how did the Emperor make like a de facto, I shook their hand and they went away deal if they could arguably do that kind of damage? Like... Mm, okay, so like those those are sort of my right. questions. Because well, in, I mean, they do point out that the Ciruvi Empire is bigger than well, at least they think Palpatine knew it was. So they're mm -hmm. trying. They they viewed the whole thing from the beginning as a con on Palpatine. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that actually pans out because I knew know that like minor spoilers for down the line. The Ciruvi don't really show up again. I think they have one more appearance in all of Legends. Um, they didn't really get used as much as I think that people thought they would when they were created. That's kind of like because they learned, they learned faster than Obi-Wan to just avoid the sections of the galaxies that like <laughs> Skywalkers are present in. They were like, they, they dealt with Luke and Leia and they were like, no, no, we're fine. We They're don't like, want to deal with those. And this is going to so screw us So there's a funny up. story I have about Entechment specifically because as a small child, I saw Star Wars when I was seven, and I we had a library right next to my house. I think I said that in the first uh, episode or whatever. So I, one of the things that I checked out very quickly from the library was this visual dictionary. I think it was like the Essential Guide to Technology or something. And it was oh, basically yeah. just like an encyclopedia with black and white sketches of all these different pieces of technology in Star Wars and like a one-page description of them. And I had never read Truce at Bakura, but I read the entry on the Entechment chair. <laughs> and as a seven or eight-year-old, I had nightmares for a month that Velociraptors were going to suck my soul out in the chair. Wow. wow. I have those somewhere around here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I refused to read this book for a long time until I was probably over the age of like 10 or 13 or something just because of how much that like one entry scared me as a child <laughs> that's great I, I was convinced that this book was scary for some reason because of that <laughs> i mean without context yes absolutely understandable um no my parents actually banned me from reading like the novel star wars books until i was 14 15 years old uh, because they were like, that's the point at which we're not going to worry about trying to, like, moderate your reading at all. <laughs> but, uh, so, so my response to this was to find Galaxy of Fear and the Apprentice books <laughs> and all that jazz. And honestly, looking back, some of the Galaxy of Fear storylines are actually more messed up than the entechment aspect of the yeah. storyline like <laughs> it's galaxy of fear is basically star wars goosebumps is really what it is um but they why have they, i never heard of this it's, I, I saw them in the library as a kid because they were always right next to goosebumps <laughs> yep. okay. i need to look into that so they're they're designed for younger readers um in that okay. they're short and about children not in terms of whether or not the content is going to keep children up at night or permanently <laughs> scar them. Well, kind of like animals. I, mean, I, like I think scared. the philosophy of um, R.L. Stein, author of Goosebumps, is a very good philosophy to have, which is uh, why he, you know, to di to this day he's still. I believe he's still writing new Goosebumps books. And to this day, he is one of the few authors that actually keeps the the summaries of his stories on the back of his cover, because he he is he says that 
kids who are reading his books are smart enough to know what will scare them and what will, you know, ver- versus what will keep them up at night. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that that's true. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't read any of them until have, uh, I was much older. Have any of you watched um, Journey, uh, Fifle? I don't remember the first one. What is it called? Dang it. American Tale? Yes. Has anyone seen that movie? The reason I ask yes. is because the director mm-hmm. has a very similar um, opinion about what children can take. Because that movie has a lot of scary elements and a lot of death. Wait, and like He also directed Secret of Nim and a bunch mm-hmm, of other movies mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are... Right, intense for kids' films. His his general his general theory was that children can go through anything as long as you give them a happy ending. (laughs) I mean, I don't know that he's wrong. No, I don't think he is. I think that, and I think that that's not a bad thing, honestly, because (laughs) that reflects life in a lot of ways. Um. Wow, that was a great but very strange rabbit trail we ended up. (laughs) Yeah. And so back to the brainwashing torture destruction. Of back the to the brainwashing torture. Um, before we do that, there were two things I wanted to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, first and foremost, Han Solo was very much lounging. Um, I actually got to that section and he was laying down on the floor in a very lounging way. And you are correct. Han Solo is now <laughs> the, the, the married um, trophy husband and everyone's happy. <laughs> um, so I apologize. <laughs> I apologize deeply for that. Um, second thing, <laughs> second thing is, can we talk about Ewok funerary rites for just a quick second? Because <laughs> wait, did they come up in chapter two? I don't remember. No, 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 no. Like Mon Mothma leans against a frozen crate holding like a critically injured Ewok. Yeah, and they but it's ta- not dead. Well, and they <laughs> talk so about <laughs> well, and they talk about the fact that um, Leia was staying behind to help them bury their dead. And so, like, first and foremost, I was like, okay, so, like, these Ewoks have known these people for five minutes. And they're like, cool, yeah, take our wounded and just take them away to space wherever you guys go. (laughs) I'm like, who does that? And secondly, this is a highly primitive culture. Like, they've got to have some weird beliefs about afterlife stuff at this point. Like, we don't know what this, like interment process requires or like all of these different things like i am very interested to know about right now here are my assumptions because i have thought about this too good i'm just imagining cat in a jane goodall costume with the ewoks on on endor sounds about right (laughs) um first of all we know from the movies that they, for a time, viewed C-3PO as a god, descended from heaven to them. They are blessed by mm-hmm. Shiny Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, he purportedly convinced them that he was not, in fact, their deity. However, realistically... If you were to deal with C-3PO and actually believe that he was your god, would you simply stop believing that because he said he wasn't, or would you assume it was a test? Mm. He then (laughs) proceeds to inform you that those who you think are about to die can be taken up into space and be returned once they are whole and well again, and not just sit there going, yeah, you know, that... That sounds like a legitimate miracle type of situation. Sure, God, go ahead. I guarantee you a a teenage Ewok shoves C-3PO off of a tree just to see if he can, and C-3PO dies, and everyone's like, yep, they're not gods, and they eat Luke and Leia. 
<laughs> That's an interesting alternate universe. <laughs> wow. Opposite of a yeah. fix it fic is a break it fic. <laughs> I think honestly, if we move on to chapter three now, we might finish it before the end of the night. We've we've gotten through most of chapter two. Woo! Other than Dev drinking some disgusting deodorizing medication that makes him nauseous for an hour before he goes to bed. Which honestly but, uh, reminds me of like the anti-vaxxers and such and the whole like what was it, Jen's juice or what a jilly juice? Oh yeah. Craze for like curing various and sundry ailments that aren't actually ailments like autism. And like People trying to get their kids to drink bleach and such. I'm just sitting there mm. like, it's clearly damaging to his health. Oh, it's God, making yeah. him physically yeah, I was, ill. I was about to bring up the bleach therapy bullshit, too. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he, he is clearly not healthy in any way. And the, the Siruk, or yeah, Siruk, that's plural. They don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is their well, force slave. He calms the... <laughs> that's the reason they want him, I forgot to mention this. The reason that they're so glad they have Dev is because he's Force-sensitive, and he can use the Force to calm people down just enough that they get a little bit more juice out of them when they put them in the machine. Yeah, can so one thing about that, like, and I'm, I'm looking at the book right now, where they talk about how, essentially, it's a short-term thing. Like, they put these, these minds into the tech, and, like, it's only so long before the, the circuits die of psychosis. Yes. <laughs> I, I think that I'm like, you know, if you have a technology that requires you to constantly change the programming around, I would think I'd maybe come up with a better way to, you know, control your joys and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, stuff, like, sorry. Right, but right if we aren't harvesting programs. souls for our technology, how will the readers know that we're evil? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I think the in universe explanation is that they. The droids are more effective when piloted by souls. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Until they, they go crazy souls. and kill it. Until they start. go crazy. I swear so to, they're, I they're swear sort of a cow. short-term, more effective thing. I swear no, to God. It's, it's a much faster way of disposing of prisoners than having an ethical debate on whether or not you're allowed to kill them. And part of Amen. their goal is yeah, to yeah. populate additional planets, too. So they don't really care whether or not people survive. You may as well make use of all the available flora and fauna on a planet like, like the if you're planning on taking it over like yeah exactly the ewok solution is to eat people but... the ewok <laughs> solution is to harvest their souls for robots I but mean, only humans culturally no, speaking no, they do mention that they can utilize other species it's just oh. that humans are the longest lasting that, okay ones. that's so they're that's, actually yeah. choosing essentially <laughs> the best possible batteries for the way that they utilize um bioforms and if this and that's was star why trek they wanted to they take over bakura because it's an imperial planet full of people mm. um so on Bakura, and I think actually we're going to be able to start Chapter 3. I'm excited. Um, Luke and his strike force arrive. Luke having been in a trance the whole of hyperspace. Um, and he's still not feeling great when he gets there, which surprises only Luke. Um, they <laughs> arrive on the edge of the system and use their sensors to figure out what's going on. And they see that the Imperial Defense Fleet is losing very badly to um, a strike force of three cruisers and a bunch of other smaller ships belonging to an alien species they don't recognize um they do notice that the aliens are fighting to take prisoners 
and uh, Luke decides to call the head of the Imperial fleet, uh, who turns out to be a guy named Ter, P-T-E-R, Thanos. Either Ter or Ter. I'm assuming it's the P is silent. So Ter Thanos answers and uh, surprisingly accepts the offer of rebel assistance. Uh, and Luke rebel says this... Scum. Exactly. Luke's like, things must be bad if they're oh, actually willing to let us Oh, oh, hang on. Time out. Time out. We're going back for a second. I remembered something that I forgot. <laughs> Chris is determined not to let us move on to chapter oh. three. <laughs> I, I, not, not entirely. We can move on to chapter three. But I realized no, no, that in the message, he talked about the fact that the holonet set up through Death Star 2 and these other things they couldn't access. And so that's why they had to do the droids. This is my problem. The Death Star was a secret that no one was supposed to know about. Could you imagine like having two Wi-Fi servers? And then suddenly one pops, like a third one pops on and goes, Death Star 2. <laughs> That's on, renaming my Wi-Fi. I, I think I just assumed that they were shipping repulsor drives because that's one of their main exports. But that's like, I just assumed it that was they were one of their main communication things. It's like this is how we send people emails is through the Death Star. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> Uh, well, this is why the Empire lost. Yeah, no wonder it was. No well, wonder they found it, out about it. Like, <laughs> well, maybe it wasn't necessarily supposed to be a secret from people within the Empire. Maybe just a secret from everyone I else. I would like to point out the rebels were once in the Empire. <laughs> I think. I think it's probably because he is the governor of probably the closest Imperial world to the Death Star. So maybe they told him, or he was in some way involved in shipping goods to the Death Star or something, uh, which is why he's in the know. My, but I don't know. my theory simply... is that it's sloppy writing. Because my I... theory is. They just said, hey, we've set up a communications hub at this location. And that was it. And it's just conveniently named Death Star 2. <laughs> no, they didn't even name it Death Star 2. They were just like, this is Hub 36224. Right, but also, the governor not allowed said, to come it was, it was all factory without security settings. clearance. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the governor specifically called it that. So that's that's why I think that they would have had to have named it in some way. Or maybe fair, Palpatine fair. was just really fond of the narcotic candy they mentioned this planet. No, I think <laughs> this is what happened. This is this is my this is my unifying theory. As soon as the trap sprung and the rebels are trapped and he has the ship there, Palpatine presses a button and suddenly the internet just comes alive with <laughs> like like Twitch stream commentary of him fighting against the rebels. Just and he suddenly goes live and like, "Yo, it's your boy down. Palpatine here, blowing up the rebel <laughs> fleet." Watch me destroy these rebel scums, and do not forget to smash that <laughs> like button. I can just see, I can just see Palpatine periscoping. And this is brought to you by Raid Shadow Legends. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. That's what I think happened. Subscribe and ring the bell. It's your boy Palp, straight from Spacebook Live. <laughs> uh, 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 that's so great. Okay, so with that being said, chapter, <laughs> chapter three, three is really interesting. <laughs> oh my god. Because, um, I actually think his name is Peter Thanis. Like, they just oh. decided to leave out the first E, like a white woman naming her firstborn son. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
Huh. You know, I can see that enough to the point that I'll refer to him as Peter Thanos. <laughs> Uh, um, I, at I least wonder if there's a pronunciation an guide. Extra e. <laughs> I'm gonna see if Wikipedia has an actual pronunciation on his name. <laughs> okay, so this is completely unrelated, but when I searched that, I misspelled it, and I left out the A, so I searched P-T-E-R-T-H-N-S, and it came up with Peter Thanos, which is just a bunch of Google image search of... Peter Griffin with purple skin. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what I expected. Oh, have I ever told you? Have I, I have told no you idea. I once, I once performed a wedding ceremony in the voice of Stewie Griffin. What? Oh, no. Yes, there was there was a friend of mine who got a uh, really bad like he got married at the like justice of the peace or whatever like went down to the court and he was super mad about it. And so at the party afterwards, I just gathered everybody up. I was like, okay, cool. We're going to do a real wedding now. And I went, hello. See, I'm Stewie, Stewie Griffin. And I was like, yes. So do you do this man? Take this, this glorious woman. Do you? No? Okay, cool. Well, she's way too bad, way too good for you anyway. So next person. And I just continued to rip on him through the entire nuptial. And then they both said, I do. And everyone was happy. Nice. Um, so Wikipedia is no help. There's no official pronunciation. So Peter it is. Um, Peter, uh, Thanos decides yeah. he will accept Luke's help, which makes Luke think this is, this must be terrible. Um, agreed. Let's be real here. The Imperials suck at asking for help. <laughs> and then not only do they ask for help, Thanos then sends a bunch of, uh, tactical data to Luke and basically says, go right in between these three ships and it will disrupt their formation. And Luke goes, okay, because he's taking advice from something called the Battle Computer, or I can't remember the exact, the exact name, but it's some experimental battle <laughs> computer that Akbar has installed in the ship. Basically, uh, conceding the fact that Luke doesn't know how to do any of the things that they've asked him to do by commanding a fleet for the first time in battle. Um, so Leia then... Uh, pipes in and says why isn't the falcon going to join the fight and luke and han both say look we can't attack a blockade with the whole reason we're here you the ambassador in the middle of the battle zone uh, and that's Leia just not was like tactics. excuse you but i yeah. want to <laughs> well and that's like, that's the other thing luke is still clearly in love with leia because they had the weird moment in the briefing when he was like, he reached oh out and gosh, touched her. Oh my gosh, that was so weird. God, yeah. Like, okay, I was like, okay, as a kid, I didn't realize, you know, the weirdness of, oh, Luke's presumably first kiss was with his sister. And then when I rewatched them when I was older, I was like, oh. Uh, oh yeah. Luke's <laughs> presumably first kiss was with his sister. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. And I can't really understand why it was chosen to just... I mean, I can't understand why they decided, why don't we tackle his emotions regarding this? But I really think it would have been better to just ignore put that. it under the rug. Yeah, I do think, exactly think, what the film did and never talk about it again. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the most interesting things is that George Lucas only told them that they were playing siblings after they did the kiss scene (laughs) and they had like lucas made sure that they had like cameras to take pictures of the reactions for some reason (laughs) and like at at first they're laughing like 
I, I can't. I don't know. I might be able to find the picture again. I'm pretty but, sure that's um, because Lucas like didn't Hamill, know they were siblings until that moment. Yeah, Mark Hamill and um, our space mom, who I'm, I'm, I'm so shitty with names. Carrie Fisher. Thank you, Carrie Fisher, space mom. Like they're laughing about it at first, and then they just kind of look at each other, like, "Wait, is George Lucas being serious?" You can tell that George Lucas has like big trickster energy. But, but yeah, no, I, I do think it is an interesting, like, section in the book where, like, Han and Luke end up having to tag team convincing Leia that, no, really, we would prefer you to, like, not potentially get blown up. I also love that Han's pitch is basically, but look, I'm skipping the battle, too, because <laughs> I have to like, fly you over. Keep me company, please. I'm a trophy husband. I'm high maintenance. Honestly, it's really funny. Honestly, like, though, look, I would love to go into the middle of the battle zone in a freighter again, but somebody's got to drive this thing, and we can't have you over there. Like, you know, I'm not. He even says in the next chapter something about. I mean, maybe in this chapter, he basically says something like, he would never let Leia fly the Falcon because there's like just some thing about it that that rubs him the wrong way and clearly as it's later literally show, Chewie that was breaks there down. first yeah he's I like mean, Chewie he, has he, the co-pilot he seat. literally he has wouldn't dibs. let he like Han would literally let no one other than Chewie drive the Falcon period unless it's Lando or an extreme situation and, and he, even Lando got like the most of a talking to that he could give him before going off to run a commando raid. <laughs> and not to mention, it was Lando's ship first. I mean, could you imagine that? <laughs> Someone shows up and is like, hey, this is my car. Trust, like, take care of my car. And the guy's like, dude, I sold you that car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So speaking of his car, Han finally, uh, after Han and Luke convince Leia they can't, fight the battle effectively while she's there which she's still not convinced of i think she's just kind of surrendered to the fact she's not going to win this fight so they go to fly off to the sixth planet in the bakura system um in the falcon and we switch to han's point of view and we have an interesting passage here where han tries to land on the planet um, but the planet is covered in ammonia ice and he can't cool the falcon down enough to land without melting the ice. And I thought this was interesting because okay, this it's is, this really uncommon to talk four. about heat diffusion in a Star Wars book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to mention that. I really like that part. Like, it, it actually puts some fairly decent science into the, the book. Like, instead mm-hmm. of just saying it's it's space science, you know, it, it's space magic, you know, how all these ships can go into and out of atmospheres and land places and all that stuff. Yeah, because I mean, he tries it, it doesn't work. He tries to do a few tricks, uh, and I think it's mentioned at, at some point that the Falcon runs even hotter than normal because Han has put so many modifications into it. So he tries to land, they start melting the planet and sinking, and he just says, you know what, let's just orbit instead. And they fly off. Hmm. So I, we... I think this is an, another chance that I, I can bring up to point out some of the differences between science fiction and science fantasy because Mm -hmm. me being more of a casual fan of star wars like only having watched the movies prior to this and the clone wars you know 
if if the Falcon were to land on land on this planet in the movies and not sink, like most viewers wouldn't bat an eye because mm-hmm. oh, it's just the Millennium Falcon. It's a spaceship. It it can land on an icy planet. Yeah, that's something it can do. We we don't necessarily need an explanation. And yeah. that's you know, when you start explaining things, that's when you kind of start to bring your story from science fantasy into science fiction. Mm. And I've seen people try to do that with star Wars in the past. And I've never really liked it that much because it's like, you're trying to explain something that isn't supposed to be explained <laughs> to, to see, play I think off of that. 90s star Wars is interesting because it was coming into a science fiction landscape that had been dominated for the past decade by, um, star Trek, the next generation and where, uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager was still kind of controlling the public science fiction consciousness. So there's a lot of what I would think of as very Star Trek things about early Star Wars. Uh, a lot of the scenes in Star Wars, uh, in like especially 90s Star Wars books, go into a lot of detail about the way and the science behind it. Um, and I think that was just because the 90s had a very, like, how it works science fiction Vibe about it. Like, yeah, yeah, and then we got the the prequels, and Star Wars returned, like, veered very hard back into fantasy. (laughs) Well, and also, like, the very very word entechment is playing off of enchantment. So it's like, it's very similar in its action, it's very similar in its purpose and its point. Like, this book is very clearly trying to walk the line to some degree of, like, actual fantasy. And like science fiction, like we're talking about, like they're trying to, at some level, like be practical and talk about the science of things, but also bring in some of the clearly less scientifically founded um, elements of the universe. Well, also keep in mind, this book came out in 94 and the Zahn, excuse me, the Thrawn trilogy written by Timothy Zahn, um, which was really the first EU book. Like there were other Star Wars books, but it was the first one that kind of launched the Legends canon. It was, um, so it was that the... trilogy wrapped up in 93. So there was very little for Kathy Tires to work with as right. far as established. This is what Star Wars is. She had three movies and three books that were written to be very similar to the movies in structure, story, tone, everything. Right. And um, George Lucas's yes or no. Yes. <laughs> yes. It wasn't George Lucas's briefing on what Star Wars was. It was just yes or no <laughs> to what this idea is. Oh, and she had the soundtrack. So I think she did a pretty admirable job of making it feel like a Star Wars book, given what she had to work with. Because, I mean, as you read Truce at Bakura, you're not sitting here going, what is this? Mm-hmm. There's some weird jankiness with it, but it mostly feels like a Star Wars book. I would like to be clear to at least you guys. Like, the listeners can believe whatever they want. That's fine. But to the people here in this podcast whose opinions I care about to some degree, <laughs> I am not in any Aww. way trashing. Oh, I know. Don't don't take it too hard. <laughs> Um, I feel like that was aimed at me. (laughs) But anyway, back to my moment. um, (laughs) um, I am in no way like demeaning or like reducing the artistic like struggle that this particular person went through when I point out places in which they tripped. I am not trying to like what this person did was kind of phenomenal in that they actually did give us the first Star Wars that wasn't within the films. And we can all look at it and acknowledge that it is Star Wars. Like, this is the first steps in this universe, not necessarily the best steps. So I respect immensely this writer and what she did. 
mean, <laughs> well, good. I, I do too. Basically, the moon landing for Star Wars extended universe when you think about it only this book wasn't fake yeah i mean we had the thrawn trilogy before this but really that is not to minimize that at all because it's a fantastic trilogy of books i'm interested in getting there but it'll be a bit because it's set five years after return of the jedi um but that was the only thing that had come out before this i think in in legends like this was was, the next step it was the first like reimagining well not reimagining but it was the first big Thing to come out and it's what really kind of took it by storm there was other stuff but like there was a big dry spell between oh like the early 80s of you know yeah. the, the stuff that comes out right after the movies and even that stuff like i love the lando trilogy <laughs> but it's weird it's yeah. got like like if you think of like 70s like television sci-fi mm-hmm. you know like lando shrinks at one point he's running around like an inch tall there's a sorcerer. They meet space whales that are talking to them in a black hole. It's very this strange. Just sounds like Lando Calrissian's Tuesday yeah, no, morning. It's, I've, it's I've never really read the Lando weird. Chronicles, and I'm you're you're not really turning me on to it either. But. <laughs> you <laughs> are turning me really, on to them. They, though. they don't feel like Star Wars because they hadn't had an established tone yet. They were just sort of like, what Star Wars? It's what you have in the movies and then the established science fiction tropes of the decades that they were being written in. And I think, um, I think the the real triumph of the Thrawn trilogy, which again, we'll get to later was that it actually set up a really good tone for the expanded universe so that everyone that followed it could write a book that felt coherently part of the movie universe. I know this isn't a review podcast and that's not our point or purpose, but I think that when we (laughs) get to the end of these books, I think we should actually rate them like on how Star Wars-y they were because we could try that. Like we're going through the beginning of like, what is Star Wars to us and like, where do these things fall? And just kind of like, yeah, on a scale of one to Star Wars, where is this? Because I'd be really interested to actually see what everyone's opinion on that would be. I think that's a good idea. Especially considering that we all have such drastically different viewpoints and opinions mm-hmm. on this series. I like that idea. Yeah, well, let's do it. I mean, we'll have to get through Trucipicura first. <laughs> episode so, 101, we're finally giving out our first rating. <laughs> I was we finished the second paragraph yeah, was, this week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am here until we get until we get to um, Republic Commando books. Like, no matter how this works. I, I don't was, know that we'll ever get to Republic Commando. It doesn't Commando matter. Because that already happened. Okay, it well, doesn't it matter. It's many years from now. And it's we have to go fire. all the way to the end of Star Wars and loop back around to the beginning. Yes. Republic Commando. Yes. And I Sorry, am willing in to that case, this. 50 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll then start um. on the new canon. <laughs> You know, so, again, a small rabbit hole, but I think we have like three bullet points left in chapter three, so we have time for it. Um, the Republic Commando books, I, I I read those in high school, and I got to the end of them, and I didn't know the last one existed. I thought the book series got canceled. I don't know why. I think I read it on the internet. So Imperial Commando, the last one that actually was written and exists that closes out the series, I've never read it. I, I had no idea it existed. I think I need to find so it because I, I, I read... think that the book series did get canceled. I think that Imperial Commando isn't the actual end of the series, but I could be wrong. Oh, well, I'll have to read it and find out because I don't know. Uh, but I think it, I mean, as far as I was concerned when I read it, I thought the book series ended on a massive cliffhanger right after like, right after Order 66 and then they oh. canceled the book series. Oh, no, 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 no. The next book series is still a massive cliffhanger and it still did cancel the series. Uh, George Lucas yeah. and Karen Travis got into a fight about what Mandalorians were and weren't supposed to be. 
which ended up... Well, yeah, she, the, basically, Republic Commando completely contradicts the Clone Wars and vice versa <laughs> as what Mandalorians are. Right. Um, and and the mean, fandom never really decided. It's kind of melded together with the Mandalorian now. Well, yeah, and that's, I think, honestly, the best option because it takes the things, like, you can keep the best of both when you actually meld things together rather than just being like, nope, and nope, but... Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that was my, my small rabbit hole. Um, and with, going back to chapter three, <laughs> um, as they're having this, this issue with landing on the planet, Leia um, is reflecting on the fact that only, you know, like two days ago, she found out that the worst person she's ever met was her dad. Um, and contrasting this with Luke, who is sort of like, I saw him get redeemed and I had nothing but good hopes for him. There was good in him and, you know, he has a much better view of his father. Leia doesn't even want to think about it. Like, she's furious. She can't even cope with it and is kind of in denial. Um, and I think Han doesn't really... I don't think he understands entirely what's going on in her head, but his his uh, his solution to her, her angst about it is to have Chewie set up a love nest in the hold of the fountain. <laughs> uh, the fountain I love the Chewie. He's the best wingman. Chewie is great. <laughs> He sets them up a love nest, and Han has Ewok wine ready for them, which well, is described as syrupy and purple. Well, I would also like to <laughs> point out... Which is out... actually interesting, because that's, like, what you used to find from, like, ancient wines and such, and then you would dilute it with water. So clearly mm -hmm. Han is just not a man of culture, as Chewie <laughs> describes him, and Chewie is right. <laughs> I mean, this is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but the first note for Chapter 4 is that because it's, it's from Chewbacca's point of view, at least for a while. His internal dialogue in this book is surprisingly genteel. He, I think he refers to... Uh, he just has a very strange way of talking. It's very, like, English gentleman. <laughs> He's you very know, I Which I love for Chewbacca. Chewie in a full tux, and he would be an ideal date, and he would rip people's arms off if they <laughs> insulted his date. Which is ideal. <laughs> so you have that to look forward to next week, because I'll actually read some of his dialogue um, from chapter four. Do you promise to give us your best week. Chewbacca impression when you do? Uh, I don't know that I can say words and do a Chewbacca impression <laughs> at the same time. So I'll do my best Not Chewbacca as a genteel English you gentleman. Have to just, you you have gotta to just be try creative, and make, man. You have to try and make the weird growling noises, but with a posh British accent. <laughs> I'll just end with the last line of chapter three, talking about Han and Leia, is he caught her hand and went down flailing because she shoved him over the bulkhead into the love nest. So clearly he is worked at distracting her from thinking about Darth Vader being her dad. Oof. <laughs> I don't know what happened to the wine, but hopefully he wasn't holding it when he went down, quote, No, flailing. he corked it and put it back. Like, oh, there you go. Like yep. a gentleman. He's, they still have Ewok wine. I bet Chewie oh. told him to do that. Yeah. What probably. do Ewoks make wine from? Um, the same Keep thing them. the rest of us make wine from. The blood of their enemies? <laughs> yeah, stormtroopers. <laughs> also, no. Ewoks no, 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 no. played by Mads Mikkelsen and Anthony Daniels. Another, <laughs> another not Anthony thing. Daniels. Wait, what? Not Anthony Daniels, the other Anthony that played a Hannibal. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins? Anthony Hopkins? Yes, that's the one I meant. <laughs> you monster. I was like, what is like Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> When does C-3PO eat somebody? That's what I don't really know. This, and then Anthony Hopkins. This, my dear Ewoks, is called cannibalism and is frowned upon 
in many planets. It's not cannibalism because they're not people. I am not from them. (laughs) (laughs) They'll send us off to the spice mines of Kessel and have our livers with a nice Chianti. (laughs) No. I reject this universe. (laughs) Zero zero out of ten Star Warses. Anyway, that's chapter three. So we've made it through two chapters this week. I'm really proud of us. <laughs> Good job, guys. Oh, uh, thank boy. you all for listening to uh, Legends of the New Republic. Hopefully you're still listening to Legends of the New Republic. Uh, I'm David, and uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming along for this crazy weird ride. I'm Chris. I'm the grumpy one. All I heard was Obi-Wan. <laughs> I'm Obi-Wan! Uh, I'm, I'm Obi-Wan exist in a bubble in your imagination and that is it yeah yeah chris doesn't have anything to plug so mm-hmm. as soon as <laughs> as soon as this recording session is done he just disappears mm-hmm, mm-hmm. actually i think after this recording session is done he's coming over to my house to watch dark i hope so <laughs> that was the plan oh, shark, it's your turn for outro it, it's my turn okay oh. um all right uh hey i'm i've been jason and uh you can find me at uh ghost shark two zero on Twitter, and that's about it so far. I'm Kat. You can find me on Twitter at SeagullSoup. Don't look for me anywhere else. You will regret it. I'm SharkRay24. You can find me pretty much anywhere under that username. Uh, Go ahead and head on over to my YouTube channel where I do gaming stuff as well as dramatic readings, video essays, and a bunch of other stuff. And just to say... I'm a Jedi again, Mom! <laughs> nice. Jay, nice. you watched that Vine compilation I posted, didn't you? I watched every Vine compilation, thank you very much. 